You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. We will be continuing on with Chapter 14 of the United Order, Our Contemporary or Contemptible Society. We'll be on page... Hold on here. 
will be on page 196 and going to 212. But I know there is no man on this earth who can call around him property, but he, a merchant, tradesman, or a farmer, with his mind continually occupied with, how shall I, how shall I get this or that? How shall I get rich? Or how much can I get out of the, this brother or from that brother? and dicker and work and take advantage here and there no such man can ever magnify the priesthood nor enter the celestial kingdom brigham young journal of discourses volume 11 page 297 the savior made a parable between our generation and that of noah's not because of heavy rainfall or large ships but because of the necessity for the whole world to be cleansed. The time has long, pre- has long pressed for the Latter-day Saints to decide which course they should pursue, following the worldly to their inevitable collapse and destruction or seeking to obey the laws and the principles of heaven which God has already given them. Brigham Young described our conditions to Messiah Hancock, who said, quote, He, speaking of Brigham Young, conversed freely on the situation of the saints in the mountains and said that he dreaded the time when the saints would become popular with the world, for he had seen in sorrow in a dream or in dreams this people clothed in the fashions of Babylon in drinking in the spirit of Babylon until one could hardly tell a saint from a black leg. Life of Mosiah Hancock, page 73 and 74. Then Brigham Young added, Many of this people, for the sake of riches and popularity, will sell themselves for that which will canker their souls and lead them down to misery and despair. It would be better for them to dwell in wigwams among the Indians than to dwell with the Gentiles and miss the glories which God wishes them to obtain. I wish my families would see the point and come forth before it is too late. For, oh, I can see the tendency in my families to hug the moth-eaten customs of Babylon to their bosoms. This is far more hurtful to them than the deadly viper, for the poisons of the viper can be killed by the power of God, but the customs of Babylon will be hard to get rid of. And quotes from the same book, pages 73 and 74. The Apostle Orson Pratt also understood the traditions, customs, and temptations of the Gentiles, for he said, quote, the Gentile God has great influence even over the saints. Consequently, it will take years to eradicate covetousness from our hearts, as our president has told us that the new law relating to a full consecration of our property would be perhaps one of the last laws that would be fulfilled before the coming of Christ. Much patience and forbearance will need to be exercised before the saints will get completely rid of their old traditions, Gentile notions, and whims about property, so as to come to that perfect law required of them 
in the Revelations of Jesus Christ, Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 261. One of the principal objectives of the United Order was to protect the Mormon people from the, the catastrophic events that will befall the world. The saints had been warned and forewarned of the impending doom and collapse of Gentile Babylon. If the Mormon people will not take the precautions to separate themselves from the Gentile economic, social, and moral systems, they too will be destroyed in the great fall of Babylon. The Lord warned the saints of these judgments, quote, Be diligent in keeping all my commandments, lest judgments come upon you, and your faith fell you, and your enemies triumph over you. Doctrine and Covenants, section 136, verse 42. And, quote, Inasmuch as they keep not my commandments, and hearken not to observe all my words, the kingdoms of the world shall prevail against them. Doctrine and Covenants, section 103, verse 9. Babylon is a snare to Mormonism. It is a dangerous quicksand, innocent in appearance, but deadly to the unwary trespasser. Their politics, economy, education, morality, and laws are diametrically opposed to the doctrines of the Lord. Page 199, and we're at 15%. Even the Mormon church school system has been infiltrated by gentilism, <clears throat> gentilism. Brigham Young University was established to refute these philosophies of the world, but according to Dr. Hugh Nibley, it has failed. Quote, we have enough and to spare at pre present time in the mountains of schools where the teachers dare not mention the principles of the gospel to their pupils, but have no hesitancy in introducing into the classroom the theories of Huxley or Darwin or of Mill and the false political economy which contends against cooperation and the United Order. BYU Today, November 1982. But it is the economic evils of the world that are bringing some of the worst corruptions and practices among the Mormon people. Perhaps one of the greatest evils of our time is the vast inequality between the poor and the rich. Another evil which is unnecessary is the constant inflation, depression cycle, uh, which is created for the benefit of, of the bankers. These situations are created, they are not accidents. Today the Mormon people are being trained in the worldly craft of banking, politics, and law. Depressions are inevitable, and the next major depression will be the worst. The saints should become aware of the cause and indicators leading up to a depression. And that's an economic depression he's talking about. There are several similarities between the conditions and the events of the 1929 crash and those of our time. Quote, debt. Just prior to the Depression, personal income had 88% obligation to debt and is almost identical today on page 200 at 21%. Housing. Home building and real estate sales slump off 
Today, we are all aware of the great drop in the home building and sell of real estate. Inflated interest. Interest on loans doubled in only a few years. We have seen it more than double within the last few years. Auto production. And this this is... uh, this book was written a while ago, so 1982, I guess, is what the what he's quoting here, the the time that he's quoting. But anyway, continuing, auto production, automobile automobile production tapered off to 50 percent during the first half of 1929. This past year, 1982, only one American ear company made a profit; another went bankrupt. And the rest lost money. Stock market rise. Wild speculation pushed the stock market to an all-time high today in 1983. We have just passed through the highest peak on the market. Many other parallels and similarities are evident. Even the best and most renowned economies say that we are headed for a depression of the worst possible kind. They are beginning to say the same thing that prophets have foretold for centuries. The Great Depression of 1929 affected almost everyone, and when the stock market fell, it caught many who had invested with wild speculation and with borrowed money. The people who lost so heavily were unable to buy anything. This stopped production, which in turn caused layoffs. Wages went to the bottom. Unemployment continued until 25% of the workforce were looking for jobs. There, were, there was no food, food stamps, welfare payments, or unemployment checks. Anyone who had a mortgage on his home, car, or farm lost his jo- and lost his job simply had those things taken away from him. Page 201 at 27%. Corn sold for as low as 10 cents a bushel and wheat went for 20 cents. Hogs arrived at Chicago's stockyards and went, or were bought for $3 per 100 pounds and cattle at $5 and 100 weight, was, which was too low for the payment of, of the freight to get them there. Men of wealth suffered such losses that they sold apples on the streets. In the cities, families doubled up in homes. On March 6, 1933, Franklin Roosevelt ordered a closing of all the banks in the United States to prevent any more destruction from runs on them. Electric companies, railroads, newspapers, and other companies made their own script, which was honored by many businesses as money. People lived on five to ten dollars a week. Some lived in chicken houses, garages, or even tents. They stood in lines to buy a bowl of cereal for a penny. There were bread lines, soup lines, and people migrating in lines. Page 202 at 30%. All along the rail yards were hastily made shacks with men, not just bums, but professional men who were searching for jobs or money so they could provide something for their families who were struggling for survival. 
One girl passing by these shanty towns on her way to school said, quote, That is when I learned that grown men cried from hunger, anger, loneliness, and frustration. When people live in an inflationary period, everyone borrows on high interest to the benefit of the bankers. When the depression hits, the people can't pay their debts, so the bankers foreclose. The people always lose, and the bankers always win. The Lord gives a key to who possesses the power and control of the people. Quote, The stranger that is within thee, within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come very low. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 44 through 45. What really happened in 1929? Sheldon Emery explained, Bankers, the source of America's money and credit, had deliberately withheld $8 billion from circulation by refusing loans to stable and growing industries, stores, and farmers. At the same time, they demanded payment on existing loans so that money was rapidly taken out of circulation and was not replaced. America was put in a depression and in deep trouble. Goods were available to be purchased, jobs waiting to be done, but little money. 25% of the workers were laid off and banks took possession of tens of thousands of farms and businesses on foreclosure, end quote, Billions for the Bankers by Emory, page 4. But many years before the Depression, the bankers had manipulated their way into the United States government. Great wealth is great power, but not only can, but not only can make paupers and slaves out of people, but it can buy good seats in politics, controlling businesses, judges, and leaders of the state and federal government. These national and international bankers gained their greatest victory on in December of 19, or 1913. They carefully waited until the Christmas holidays when most congressmen were gone, having their own congressmen available to vote for the Federal Reserve Act. The Federal Reserve is a private banking house, but was so named to lead the people into believing that it was a government agency. This is what resulted. The Federal Reserve, or the international bankers, printed a billion dollars in money, which probably cost them about $500. Then they loaned it to the government with interest, and the government gave them $1 billion in, do- in bonds as security. Wars were created so that government borrowed more money from the bankers. After World War I and World War II, Korea and Vietnam, the American citizens are paying just the interest on this loan and there is no hope of ever paying, paying the principal. The government tells us how much money they owe, but they never tell us they are paying it to the bank, uh, the big bankers, page 204, at 41%. There was also another benefit for the bankers. The bonds given to the reserve banks are solid assets. 
The U.S. banking laws require only a 10% reserve for loans, so these bankers now loan out $10 billion or up to 10 times the amount of the value of the dollar, billions in bonds, to private cu- customers with interest. All of this goes on with their original cost of $500 in printing expenses for each $1 billion. Sheldon Emery said, quote, The bankers who control the money at the top are able to approve or disapprove large loans to large and successful corporations to the extent that the refusal of the loan will bring about a reduction in the price that the corporation stock sells for on the market. After depressing the price, the bankers um, will buy large blocks of stock, which after which the sometimes multi-million dollar loan is approved. The stock rises and is sold for a profit. In this manner, billions of dollars are made with which to buy more stock. This practice is so refined today that the Federal Reserve Board need only announce to the newspapers an increase or decrease in their rediscounted rate to send stocks up and down as they wish. Using this method since 1913, the bankers and their agents have purchased secret or open control of almost every large corporation in the United States. Using that control, they then force the corporations to borrow huge sums from their banks so that the corporation earnings are siphoned off in the form of interest to the banks. This leaves little actual profits, which can be paid as dividends and explains why stock prices are so depressed. While the bankers reap billions in interest from the corporate loans, in effect, the bankers get almost all of the profits while the individual stockholders are left holding the bag. And quote billions for the bankers, Emory, pages 8 and 9. In 1913, another illegal and unconstitutional agency was pawned off on the American people, the the Internal Revenue Service. This was an agency created to collect money from, from private earnings of the people to pay off the debts created by wars, inflation, and depression. When a war is not being created, then other manipulations are promoted to get the government into debt. Suddenly, the government decides to give money away for foreign aid or for easing tensions, increased relations, minority programs, disaster relief, military preparedness, and every other project down to and including the study of the breeding habits of the whooping crane anything to create more debt, and as if this weren't enough, the government began to go into business, always losing money. Popular losses like Amtrak, land management, and thousands of other businesses not only are always losing money, but operate in competition to private businesses who pay taxes to this giant competitor. The federal government now operates more than 25,000 corporate units competing with private enterprises. Most of these operate at a staggering loss. 
even though they pay no property taxes. According to figures tabulated by the Liberty Amendment Committee, the federal government now owns more than 20% of all industrial properties and 40% of all the land mass in the United States. The government owes illegally and unconstitutionally more land than, than is found east of the Mississippi River. As more and more land goes into the government hands, the land comes off the, the tax rolls and the owners of private land must make up the difference. Gradually, federal controls are imposed on lands still held in private hands in the form of land use and regional planning regulations. The city, country, and state laws are all being replaced by new federal laws and regulations. The object of good government is to, pre, or is to protect the citizens and his rights of freedom, but today the government demands the freedom to take away the rights of its citizens. The work of the Lord is to bless, build, give, and help, but the devil always destroys, takes away, curses, and steals. Many government humanitarian projects are actually graphs. Our foreign aid only produces more, produces more countries to stand in line for handouts. Taxes are created to support more uh, giveaway programs and welfare, which in turn only encourages more people to get on welfare. If a thief meets a man on the street and takes his wallet, we call it robbery. But when the government takes money from the ma or from man, we call it legal. The difference is that the robber may never rob the man again, but the government is there every payday. No one knows what the robber does with the money he takes. Similar, similarly, no one has ever been able to audit the Internal Revenue Service. Page 207 at 59%. Money spent by some departments of government is often diametrically opposed to that spent by other departments. For instance, one department will pay the farmers not to plant crops, while another agency pays for dams to help the farmers irrigate more land for more crops. One agency will spend billions for arms to destroy other countries, then another department will spend billions to help rebuild them. Our department is spending for peace, another is spending for war. One agency is taking money away from the people while another is giving it away to others. One is buying dairy products from a farm to keep the prices high, another is giving the products free to the people who can't afford to pay those high prices established by the government. Our political and economic experts are always blaming the people for the economic mess we are in. They blame the workers for inflation, the president for recession, and the American dollar for devaluation. These experts are always creating another remedy, a new tax on gas or tires or automotive or cigarette or personal income. They say the answer to every problem is another tax. They want to give us more of the me medicine that made us sick in the first place. 
many people are turning to the Constitution to help protect them in their rights against the monster that is eating them up. Over 22 million people are refusing to pay their income taxes, and many millions of people are resorting, resorting to help from private churches, such as Universal Life Church, which is the second largest church in the United States at that time. Others resort to every tax loophole available, but the government doesn't seem to get the message that the people are fed up with their taxation, their foolish spending programs, and their unconstitutional agencies that are making thousands of these outlandish laws. Page 208 at 66%. At the turn of the century, the national debt was in the millions. Today it is in the trillions. The average American paid no income tax, few other taxes, and had almost no debt. Today he pays over half of his income into numerous taxes and debts. Just before the Federal Reserve was established in 1913, the federal debt was about $12 per citizen, but today it is nearly $4,000 per person, which is way higher today than it was back then. Owning your own home was the American dream, and most people did. The average home today is valued at $80,000, I wish. To to borrow the money and pay back with interest, the homeowner back then will pay the bankers over $250,000. $170,000 of it goes to usury, which is interest rates. If Congress would have followed the Constitution, creating their their own money and regulating it instead of trusting the bankers, there would be no national debt nor $400 trillion in other debts. Money going into circulation will remain there as the medium of exchange that it was meant to be. The theory is often advanced, both in public and private, that the borrowing of big money is the beginning of prosperity. The people have become educated to this misleading and fallacious idea that one generation can assume the prerogative to borrow money and burden not only itself but subsequent but the subsequent one with debt in order that it may establish some public convenience, necessity, or luxury is apparent. Indeed, the greater part of our much-vaunted public prosperity today is but the spending of borrowed money, and quote the United Order by Midgley, page 16, and Ward, page 209. Jefferson once said that men are the agents of their own destruction, and debt is surely one of the fastest means towards that end. In fact, debt is disastrous. The loss of work or income, sickness, death, or a multitude of calamities can wipe out the profits of many of many years due to the small mortgage. It is the superbanker that we owe our inflation, plunging stocks, markets, wars, depressions, and foreclosures. It is through our national debt and national taxes that these greedy money-making make, makers have become the worst thieves in all, of all time. They are more 
they are modern Gideon robbers. These plundering pirates have reduced the war into poverty, war, and death in their quest for money. We are the victims of sorrow and grief because of their swindling extortions. The treasuries of many nations are being bled dry by these economic vampires who set money from the poor and middle classes until their wealth is gone and there will be and there will be to work and their will to work is broken. With taxes upon taxes they have created a huge central power which is grinding the faces of the poor. Mankind in general are becoming drones and slaves to bureaucracy. Today in America, everyone suffers with the heavy heavy burdens of taxes, hidden taxes, and national debts, which have been drained off in feudal military blunders. Santa Claus give give away more pro... Hold on. Santa Claus giveaway programs and ridiculous spending. Our top-heavy government has become a mammoth, mammoth money monster, and the more it eats, the more it wants. This is the great society of modern Gentile civilization. It is enough to make anyone want to get out of it and join a united order, page 210 at 78%. These are just some of the evils of the Gentile system, which are a misery to to its individuals, a detriment to the community, and a wicked power in government, and a system despised by God. But he has made this promise that he would overthrow the money changers in mine own due time, saith the Lord. Doctrine and Covenants, section 117, verse 16. The whole world is fast heading towards a total, soci- total socialism, and some have claimed that this worldly socialism and the United Order have much in common, if they are not really the sa- if they're not really the same. That's what some people think, but they're ignorant because uh, socialism and United Orders have nothing to do with each other. In United Orders, everybody works. For a living, and they share the wealth in in the the order, and vagabonds and vagrants and lazy and unproductive people are not. They are kicked out of the order unless there is a reason, like somebody who's disabled um, will be given a job, you know, or everybody has a job, even if uh, even if you don't have as much means to do some kind of work, there will be other work that you can do. Anyways, we'll go over a comparison list here in a minute. However, consider the following illustrations comparing socialism to the United Order. Two men are living two different uh, on two different islands. They have all they need for existence. They are not troubled by interferences from the outside world. There are no phones, no salesmen, no taxes to pay, and no worry about work, food, clothes, or any debts. The only difference between the two is the amount of freedom they can enjoy. One is on, one is 
on a tropical island near Samoa, and the other is in Alcatraz. United orders provide individual freedoms and is of God. Socialism is tyranny without freedom and comes from the devil. But the world and the Mormons have moved more towards socialism and tyranny than they have towards united order and the principles of freedom. Brigham Young described that what will eventually happen to the nations of the world because of this great evil, and to the Latter-day Saints, too, if they continue to follow these worldly standards. There is one principle I would like to have the Latter-day Saints perfectly understand. So this is a Brigham Young quote. That is, of blessings and cursings. For instance, we read that war, pestilence, plague, famine, etc. will be visited upon the inhabitants of the earth, but if distress through the judgments of God comes upon this people, it will be because the majority have turned away from the Lord. Let the majority of the people turn from the holy commandments which the Lord has delivered to us, and cease to hold the balance of power in the church, and we may expect the judgments of God to come upon us. But while six-tenths or three-fourths of this people will keep the commandments of God, the curse and judgments of the Almighty will never come upon them. End quote. Journal of Discourses, volume 10, page 335, and that was Brigham Young. But today the saints are intertwined into, into the great and wicked society of the Gentiles. Little or no effort is made to encourage the saints to leave Babylon and its, and its system, nor to live the united order. The church has even gone further in defending the unrighteous system of the Gentile bureaucracy than other churches. In a message from the First Presidency to all stake presidents in the United States, January 21st, 1983, a member who deliberately refuses to pay state and federal income taxes or to comply with any final judgment rendered in an income tax case or federal or state is out of harmony with the basic teachings of the church. And quote, Jur Jurisdictional Journal, second quarter, 1983, page 8. This creates a problem for the Latter-day Saints who believe in obeying God's law, law of the United Order, the Constitution, and the principles of freedom. It is a final test of their integrity to see if they will obey true principles. Page 212, and we're at 90%. We live in a time of testing. Heber C. Kimball often prophesied of these events that we are now experiencing. His, talking of Heber C. Kimball's public discourse about this time, were the most earnest and impressive that I have ever heard. And on several occasions in the Provo Meeting House, he clearly foreshadowed the time of trial the saints are now passing through and to a period still before us. He often used the uses the language, a test, a test, a test is coming. Life of Heber C. Kimball by Orson F. Whitney, pages 445 and 447. And it doesn't give the full quote, 
but it's a test, a test, a test is coming, and how few will pass that test, or something to that effect. I can't remember exactly, but it's just from memory because I've read it before. Anyway, we're almost done with the reading for today, but I will open the phone lines if anybody has any questions or comments. Uh, The chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. I am pre-recording all of my shows now. And I will, uh, they'll go live at six o'clock in the morning on the days when I'm able to do it. Uh, if you are interested in, uh, following these shows, you can either follow us or follow me at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon or follow me on Facebook by either following me on Facebook or, um, becoming one of my friends my Facebook is facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. And um, you can also message me on Messenger. I check my messages every day, even the ones that I have on Ignore, I check them. Uh, the only reason I put people in Ignore is because there are so many foreigners who want to talk to me, and it's always, always like they pretend to be my friend uh, or they want to be friendly with me or whatever, but it it almost always turns into, I need you to give me money. Always. And I don't know who these people are. Maybe they do need money. Maybe they don't need money, but I don't know them. And uh, the other reason I have to put them on ignore is because they want to call me on the messenger, which function I hate. Um... I hate hate the function because when I do answer the call, <laughs> uh, usually they just stand uh, like like usually it's a video chat and usually they just smile at me or they're talking to me and I cannot understand what they're saying. I have hearing loss, um, I have tone tonal hearing loss, so like I can hear my kids perfectly, but but the more um, lower tones of people's voices, I cannot understand them. I I don't know what people are saying. It drives me nuts. When I drive my semi-truck, I have a really hard time hearing what the other people are saying, and I can pick out certain words because the tone of people's voices change, and I try to guess what they're saying, but anyway. So, um... Anyway, I'm not going to say it again. I will take phone calls um, if people call in, but if they don't, we're just going to go to the end of the reading, and then I think I'll have something prepared for uh, talking about the Festival of Sukkot or the Feast of Sukkot or whatever it is. Anyway, it's one of the high holy days of God, which never was ever supposed to be done away with. We're supposed to be observing the feasts and festivals, and I have to admit that I don't follow them all. I do learn about them, but I don't know. I just, I wish I could, but I can't take a week off of work just to follow the the, the week of Sukkot where you're supposed to, like, camp out and all of this stuff. 
Um, but I think it's interesting, and I think people should know about it. So I'm going to, um, after the reading today, if we don't have any phone calls, I'll just go straight into the recording that talks about the Feast of Sukkot, or Tabernacles. It's called Tabernacles. It's in Zechariah chapter 14, uh, where in the millennium we'll actually be observing this high and holy holiday, or holy day. And it uh, talks about that in Zechariah chapter 14. But anyway, continuing on. The nature of this test was to see if the saints would draw more towards God and his laws or towards the world and their evil system. Are the Mormons being drawn towards Wall Street or to, towards the United Order? Are they drawn towards destruction or the millennium? Isn't it evident that righteously living in a united order would eliminate all the evils of our contemporary or contemptible society? Every person should should ask himself if he is building up the world or if he's building up Zion. Jesus said we have but two masters. We must serve one or the other. And I, quote, I say unto you, be one, and if you're not one, you're not mine. Doctrine and Covenants, section 38, verse 27. A moment of reflection will show a less than optimistic view of our condition in the eyes of the Lord. So that's the end of that chapter. When we come back on next time, we'll be on chapter, in chapter 15, starting on page 213, and I'll give a, a quick preview of uh, one page. I'll read one page, basically, of the preview for the next chapter. And then, like I said, if we have any phone calls, I'll take them at this time. And if not, we'll just go into the reading, or into the uh, the recording for the Festival of Sukkot. And this is a recording by TruthFed, which is one of the... Uh, YouTube podcasters that he creates audio. He doesn't really do video. Um, of course, there's a video on the screen for you to look at, but it's pretty much he just keeps the same picture, which is prepared for each program. Uh, but he talks about these different things, and he's a he's an evangelical guy. He's not Mormon, but he, like Joseph Smith said, that we take truth from wherever it comes, right? So, I feel like this is beneficial to the uh, understanding of things, and um, I think it's important that we learn these things. So, I'm going to include it in this program for today, and uh, this will be airing... Uh, September 29th at 6 a.m. in the morning is when I started this uh, for today. And then uh, I re I'm recording it on the 28th, but I'll I'll put it live um, on September 29th. So, the philosophy of consecration. Let every man deal honestly and be alike among this people and receive alike that ye may be one, even as I commanded you. Doctrine and Covenants, section 51, verse 9. The Lord never gave instructions or commandments that would result in harm or misery for his children. Every commandment has been 
designed to eventually bring its own reward and compensation. The prophet Joseph Smith said he will never institute an ordinance or give a commandment to his people that is not calculated in its nature to promote the happiness which he has designed and which will not end in the greatest amount of and will which hold on which will not end in the greatest amount of good and glory to those who become the recipients of his laws and ordinances. And that was Joseph Smith, as you can find it in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 257. Every revelation from God to man has a purpose. Although it may not be understood at the time, that it is given. The principles of the United Order have not been understood or appreciated, nor do people understand the blessings that can be obtained by obedience to the law of, of to that law. Men in general have a tendency to cling tightly to their possessions, and the mere mention of consecration is disturbing to them. They immediately think they will lose their wealth and freedom. Nothing could be further from the truth. So that's the end of the reading for today. Uh, If we don't have anybody who has called in to this point or uh, is asking questions on the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon, we'll go right into the Sukkot recording that I'm going to prepare at this time. And, um, um, oh, also, if you're listening to this on Blog Talk Radio on the live stream, you can also find this program under the same name as the one on Blog Talk Radio, which is Fundamentally Mormon. And you can find that at um, Apple iTunes or your iTunes apps, basically your podcast apps. So anyway... Without any further ado, we'll get into either questions or comments or just right into the video, whichever happens at this time. So thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless. Here we go. Sukkot. Let me give you a little bit of a rundown about what this is. 
Uh, by the way, there's a blog post up at scriptureandprophecy.com. If you're on the email list, I sent it to you yesterday so you could have a quick glance uh, before this morning's podcast. Uh, by the consider getting on the email list. I don't spam it. I don't send you bunches of requests to buy stuff or anything like that. The main purpose of it is to let you know about these things. And also, if in the event that I ever get censored or canceled, I at least would have a way to get written and work to you or something like that. So uh, I'd probably send something maybe once every few weeks, once a week at the most. That's at scriptureandprophecy.com. So what is the, well, let's talk about when is the Feast of Tabernacles. According to most calendars, and again, this is debatable. Some have it starting last night. Some have it starting tonight, Monday, September uh, 20th. So September 20th tonight uh, at sundown ending uh, on, well, ending seven days from now, the 27th at sundown. So what is the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles is a very important biblical feast. It's one of only three where the Israelites were commanded to travel to Jerusalem and celebrate and observe the appointed time. So it's like they call it pilgriming feast. The other two would be Passover and Festival of Weeks. Uh, so out of, the, out of all the feasts, there's three where you're actually supposed to travel to Jerusalem. It's a, the Feast of Tabernacles is a beautiful picture of God dwelling among his people. And obviously our blessed hope is that Jesus, our Savior, will soon return where he will dwell or tabernacle with us forever, which would be the ultimate fulfillment of that appointed time. We did see a partial fulfillment, however, when we, when, during Messiah's first advent when he walked among the people of the earth. What really makes this feast interesting is it seems to be the only one wherein during the kingdom of messiah the entire world will be expected to observe it or be punished through the withholding of rain which we'll read about in the book of zechariah this morning to israel the feast of tabernacles was a reminder of how god brought them out of egypt and how they dwelt in tents or booze or sukkot in the wilderness for 40 years and how God was among them and eventually brought them into their own land. The Sukkot, which is the temporary dwelling, is also a reminder to us all that just like the Sukkot, our lives here on earth are also temporary. For the Christian, the Feast of Tabernacles is a reminder of how the Son of God walked the earth. He gave his life as a ransom for many. How he paid for our sins on the old wooden cross, becoming the Passover lamb. And how he is coming again to gather us to himself, where we will be comforted for all eternity. So there's kind of a rundown of what it is. They were commanded to travel, set up temporary shelters, and observe it for seven days. There's an example of it being observed in the book of Nehemiah. So just a couple of weeks ago, during Feast of Trumpets, we went to the book of Nehemiah to see an example of the Feast of Trumpets. We're going to do the same thing today for the Feast of Tabernacles. So before we look at Nehemiah and then look at the prophecy in Zechariah, uh, one of the traditions is to read Leviticus chapter 22, uh, verse 26 through 23, verse 44, which deals with, you know, the, uh, uh, the feast, 
concerning the concerning the feast of the Lord. So let's read that. Then we'll go look at our look at our example in Nehemiah, and then look at our future example, which is very interesting in the book of Zechariah. So let's begin, starting with Leviticus chapter 22, verse 26. I'm going to read from the King James Bible this morning. Here's what it says. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When a bullock or a sheep or a goat is brought forth, then it shall be seven days under the dam. And from the eighth day and thenceforth it shall be accepted for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And whether it be a cow or an ewe, you shall not kill it and her young both in one day. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it at your own will. On the same day it shall be eaten up. You shall leave none of it till tomorrow. I am the Lord. Therefore you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Neither shall you profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which, or Lord which hallows you. That brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feast. Six days shall your work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their season. In the fourteenth day of the first month, at evening, is the Lord's Passover. On the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. Unto the Lord seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And in the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do the servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two tenths deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savior. And the drink offering thereof shall be wine the fourth part of an an hen. And you shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that you have brought an offering unto your God. It should be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath you shall number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You shall bring out your habitations to wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And you shall offer with bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams 
they shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet Savior unto the Lord. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for the wave offering before the Lord, and two lambs. They shall be a holy they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim in the selfsame day that it might be, be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, shall not, thou shalt not make clean riddance to the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of the harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also, on the tenth day of this seventh month, it shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. You shall do no work in that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. And whatsoever soul it shall be not afflicted in the same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul in that doeth any work in that same day, the soul will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest. And ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even. From evening to evening shall you celebrate your Sabbath. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles. For seven days unto the Lord. On the first day it shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And on the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. You shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's a solemn assembly and you shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts to the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Besides the Sabbath of the Lord, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vows, and beside all your freewill offerings, which you shall give unto the Lord. Also, in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in all the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. You shall take on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. You shall be a statue forever in your generations. You celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths 
when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So that is kind of the portion that we were uh, that we're supposed to read today. And it ends, obviously, talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, how God commanded them to go out and get, you know, the branches and stuff of trees and to make these temporary shelters. They were to have a Sabbath on the first day and on the eighth day. So, and it was a seven-day, a week-long celebration, a reminder of what God had done. He says, all of you do this. All Israelites born shall dwell in booze. And the purpose, he says, is that your generation may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So there's the commandments. That's where the commandment of this, of this feast and all the other feasts come from. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 26 through 2344. Now, let's start reading a couple of short verses. That's the bulk of what we're going to read today, but I want to get some examples in. So if we go to Nehemiah, you go to chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 13 through 18 to see an example. Remember, they were in Babylonian captivity, and they come out, and because it's been a generation or so, they, they've forgotten all these, they don't know these things. And so Ezra the scribe has been teaching them the law. And you remember when he taught them about Feast of Trumpets, they started weeping, oh, and he said, don't weep, instead celebrate, you know, drink sweet drinks and eat fat and be merry. And here they're going to hear about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's take a look in Nehemiah chapter 8, starting with verse 13. And on the second day, were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel shall dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount, fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth, and they brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the streets of the water gate, and in the streets of the gates of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come out again of the captivity, made booths, and sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua the son of Nun, unto the day, had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day unto the last, he read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manor. So here we have an example. They hadn't observed any of these things for a generation. They're coming to Ezra to learn the words of the law, and they found written in there about the dwelling of booths. And so they all went, and they, they made a big deal about it, and they published it all throughout the land, and they went and they grabbed branches in Jerusalem. They went to the mount, and they fetched olive branches and pine branches and all this, and they made the, the temporary shelters. And then everybody... They, everyone, they also made them on the top of their houses in many cases. So if you lived there and you had a house, they had flat roofs, they would make them on top of the house. And then everybody else, you had to kind of sojourn to get there, would build them in, this, in the courts and the outer courts and all that stuff. And this is in the, 
And all the congregation of them were come again out of captivity, and they made booze, and they sat into the booze, and there was very great gladness. And during the seven-day feast, it says also from the first day until the last day, they read from the book of the law of God. So if you're kind of wanting some something tangible to do during this next seven days, uh, just, you know, read, read from the law, read from the Torah. Do it, just do it seven days or go through and grab my Torah portion podcast and listen to one episode each day during the seven days, something like that. Um, and just kind of remind yourself of, how, of, of who God is and what his commandments were to Israel. And look at them and see how they point to Jesus. You know, uh, I think it's tragic that obviously I don't think we're supposed to live these out exactly like they did at that time. And, and in most cases, we even can't. There's no temple. There's no. We can't necessarily just sojourn to Jerusalem, especially in the times we're living in now. But we can still study these things and memorialize them. As an example, we set up. I set up a temporary shelter it's actually an old hunting blind <laughs> and i set it up out in the lawn and we we read all, everything i'm covering with you i covered with my family and we just kind of had that time and of memorializing and understanding that hey just like this shelter our lives are temporary but here's the good news is there's a day coming very soon when we're going to tabernacle with god forever and we read from the prophecy so let's go to that zechariah chapter 14 I was going to read the whole thing, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to cover the part that actually deals with tabernacles, which is verse 16 and 17. And here's what it says. This is, this is future. We know it's future because it clearly hasn't happened yet. Starting with verse 16, he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. So this, the whole story is they come against Jerusalem and God annihilates them, right? In the last days. So of the ones that are left, of, the, of one that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So it appears that during the kingdom reign, and this is one example why I think that the, the thousand-year reign of Messiah must be literal. Many think that it's, been that it's being fulfilled now through the church. And I've, I've been on that page at different times. But when I see things like this, I'm like, well, this hasn't happened. So it'll come to pass after, this, after God does this great thing, I guess, those who come against Jerusalem that they will have be required to come up year after year to worship the king the lord of hosts and to keep the feast of tabernacles verse 17 and it shall be that whoso will not come up of the families of the earth unto jerusalem to worship the king the lord of hosts even upon them shall be no rain and if the family of egypt got, go not up and come not and have no rain there shall be plague wherewith the lord will smite the heathen that come not up to the keep the feast of tabernacles they shall be the punishment of egypt and the punishment of all the nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles so check that out this has definitely not been fulfilled the nations of the world will be expected to come up 
to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Hosts. And if they don't do it, and he, interestingly enough, he mentions Egypt twice, which makes me think God is prophesying that Egypt will be one that disobeys. If they don't come up, it says that the Lord will send no rain and there will be a plague and that the Lord will smite the heathen. He's calling anybody who refuses to come up to this during this time is a heathen. <laughs> he says he's going to smite the heathen. And this will be the punishment of Egypt. It mentions Egypt again. And the punishment of all nations. So we're talking about the whole world here. That come not up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Check it out. Verse 20. And in that day there shall be upon the bells of horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And they that sacrifice shall come up and take them and see it there. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I long for that day. I long for the day when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is here amongst us. And we have to go every year and, and celebrate and praise him and acknowledge the, man, this is awesome. I, I look forward to this. And there's, you're not going to convince me that this has been fulfilled already because find me a time in history when the whole world has been required to come observe the Feast of Tabernacles. And when they didn't, they were stricken with plagues and drought. This is future. This is future. Let me read two more verses to end the broadcast. From Revelation chapter 20. And I saw the thrones that sat upon them. This is verse 4 and 6. 4 through 6. And judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. I don't know about all of you. But I want to be part of that. Blessed and holy is he that takes part in that first resurrection. Do you know him today? Have you committed your life to Jesus? Are you denying yourself daily and taking up your cross and following after him? Or are you seeking your answers from the world? The world has answers. But they'll be your demise. Trust in Jesus. The king is coming. And if anything, this, this feast is a time to, to look forward to him dwelling amongst us, tabernacling amongst us. And I pray that that day comes very, very soon. And in my prayers every morning, I pray, remember me and my family. Count us worthy to escape all these things that are coming upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Maranatha. Baruch Abashim, Yahweh Yeshua HaMashiach. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus.
I hope you've been blessed this morning through this podcast. Please consider supporting it, scriptureandprophecy.com. Please consider praying for it. That's all I have for you this morning. Lord willing, I'll be back with you Wednesday. Peace and grace be with all of you. Until next time, God bless. So that's the end of that recording. Um, if you want to know more about the feasts and the tabernacle, uh, the feasts and holy days of Jehovah, uh, you can contact me on Messenger, and I will get you in touch with uh, the Zarahemla Foundation, which is based out of Lehigh, Utah. They have meetings every month where you can go personally and learn of these uh, feasts and holy days also they hold new moon meetings for the beginning of every Hebrew month Um, and if you are able to travel to Lehi uh, you can attend those meetings Um, the meetings are the people who come to those meetings are mainstream Mormons and Mormons who are not mainstream, who are part of the different groups that have, that are like fundamentalists or neo-fundamentalists, but then you also have people who are evangelical uh, Protestants, and uh, they learn together, and it's basically a non-denominational type of ministry. Uh, They also share different... uh, teachings on the internet as well so uh, if you contact me um, and you ask about the Zarahemla Foundation I will pass the information on and uh, they will get in touch with you either just by email or maybe Facebook Messenger or whatnot. so anyway thank you everyone for listening to the program today Um, if you are observing the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot blessings be upon you for doing that Uh, I know that they are meeting this year down near St. George for their week of festival and um, part of the restoration is learning and observing these high holy days and um In Doctrine and Covenants section 124, Jesus actually talks about restoring the times and seasons, which are the Moedim, or the the holy days of Yehovah. And uh, 
if the temple was finished in Nauvoo, uh, not only would the fullness of the priesthood have been restored by the Father himself, but it said that this will be the beginning of revelations for the redemption of Zion, which didn't happen, but also that God would restore the true holy days of Jehovah or the times and the seasons. So anyway, without uh, any... I guess we'll just uh, end the program for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you all have a blessed day, and uh, I will be back on later with another program of uh, Zion's Redemption Radio Network, Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.